because every Advent season, you need not only one good sermon on the Magi, but two good sermons on the Magi. Um, so, <laughs> so um, funny story is, no, uh, um, Dave had shared um, just a list of, of, of kind of messages or, or verses we were going through, and um, I, I missed the fact that he was speaking on the Magi, and so I wrote my whole message, and I didn't realize until Friday that he already spoken on it, um, but uh, I have made sure that this message is, is different, um, and I, I really do believe that there's something that God wants to share in this. Um, so I love stories. I like I really really love stories because they take you to a completely different like world. They can take you to different dimensions or they could take you right down the street. Stories are just filled with so many things. From Schindler's List to the Titanic to the Odyssey to Spirited Away uh, to the Alchemist to the Lord of the Rings series, all of these stories have something in common. They reveal things about ourselves that we didn't know. Or they remind us of things that we have forgotten. So these stories, they speak to the human soul, right? Like they explore and remind us of what, what love is about. They uh, encourage overcoming fear and standing up for, for what's good, for what's right. See, in a single moment, the narratives take us on a journey that are miles away. And the stories reveal something about our inner world, our hearts, the deepest part of our hearts, and the spaces in between. Have you ever thought about the implications of the Christmas story? Like, yes, Jesus, the, 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 the king is here. He's born, God with us. And we think about, like, hope, faith, joy and peace we think about community with families right we think about all the different things that we can do in festivities and food um, but there's something in the narrative of the christmas story that i want to unravel today a little bit see jesus broke into time and space and he crashed into earth to show to show light in the darkness he came for all of us and the Christmas story is about God colliding into human history to close the distance between us and him. This morning, we're going to talk about the distance that matters. Uh, let's get to Matthew. Oh, wrong one. Come on, one more. There we go. All right. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to the Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly 
and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search for carefully for the child as soon as you find him. Report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen where it rose and went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was born. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw that the child was with Mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and had been warned in a dream. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Do you mind going to the verse first, please? Thanks. All right, so the characters of the nativity. You've got your manger, right? You've got your manger. And depending on how expensive that manger is, sometimes it could look like a B&B. Sometimes a little, it's like a little romantic. It's beautiful. It's got flowers. And it, it doesn't look like a manger. It kind of looks kind of like a really like beautiful house. And then you've got Jesus and Mary. I mean, you've got Joseph and Mary in the center. Mary's holding baby Jesus. And then in one corner, you have the shepherds and the sheep. Just inconspicuous, just watching, observing what's happening, that, that the king is born. You've got angels flying everywhere, sprinkled on the side, around, just watching the activities, that, the activity that God is creating in this moment. And then over here on the other corner, you have the magi, you have the kings, you have the wise men. And again, depending on how much money you have, like you paid for the, for the nativity, they either walked to the nativity or they rode on camels. See, I, the, the nativity set that my family bought was definitely from um, Amazing Savings. Does anyone here know Amazing Savings? It's right on Central Ave. It's an amazing store. I love the store. It's like an elevated gem bro, but not quite Target. You know, it's like an in-between. There's some really great gems you can find. Um, but my family definitely got the nativity set, so there were no camels. There's probably one angel around, and we only had one sheep in the scene. So it's like all there. But in that, there are the magi, and there's always three. As we kind of explored last week, there were no numbers in scripture that said that there were three, but we do have three gifts. We have the frankincense, gold, and myrrh. And, I mean, at that point, it could have just been maybe two magi and one magi brought all the gifts. Um, my mom, she's like one of those people who's always prepared. You come to a party, even if it's not her party, she has gifts like in the trunk of the car already prepackaged because she doesn't want to make anyone feel bad or look bad. And, uh, you know, so we have no idea what the situation with the magi are. There could have been more, there could have been less, but we do know that there were magi and there were three gifts. But one of the things I want to look about the magi is that we call them wise men. We call them kings. But nowhere in scripture that they are they called kings. And wise men is not very descriptive. We looked last week at how magi were priests in the court of Persia. But even in that kind of space, I want to explore that a little bit more. Because I think when we look at priests, when we look at this idea of a priest of a different religion or a different belief, it feels still not so far out of reach. It's like, okay, 
I understand that. Like, we know people in our lives who are religious leaders in different beliefs. However, so I'll take a step back a little bit. So priests, they were from this ancient religion. Uh, I'm going to butcher this, but Zoran- Zoroastrianism. And this is a completely different mythology, a completely different God and belief system. Uh, some of this, there are different sects, and some of them have different sects of, S-E-C-T sex, of beliefs in regards to multi-gods and different ideas of good and evil. But these leaders were leaders of the court in Persia. So they were priests, for one. Two, uh, because of their beliefs and because of exactly where they were, they l- looked into the stars. They were astronomers. They were people who looked into the heavens for information about what their gods were telling them, what their gods wanted them to do. They were looking to the stars for their future. Their life's work was the stars, was telling and understanding what day of the year the stars, the movement of the stars. So they had a really great understanding of the the heavens above us. And now there isn't agreement among scholars. Some don't necessarily believe this, while others do. Um, But not only were the Zoroastrian priests astronomers, because of where they were located, because they were in the Eurasia Eurasia space, um, this makes them possible that they were not only astronomers, but astrologers and magicians and alchemists. See, that is a little hard, I think, for us to kind of grasp. This idea that there are magicians and alchemists and astrologers and astronomers in the presence of the nativity. This idea that is a little bit uncomfortable because astrologers used astrology, and for thousands of years, astrology has been around. So they had this sense of astrology, and they had this sense of looking to the stars for their destiny, for their hope watching and waiting to to be communicated by a god or their gods. They look to dreams for signs about what they should do about themselves, about what they should do for their personal life, but also the life of the nation. As magicians, I don't know what kind of practice, but whether it's spells or whether it's manipulating energy, this idea that they can control something by doing certain actions. Right? That's what magic is. So by being able to control things. So these people were a little bit mystical. And then alchemists creating elixirs, transforming things out of matter. These gifts that the magi gave Jesus when they laid it at his feet, they were things that any, any of these titles could have given him because they were all valued in each of those spaces. There was gold frankincense, and myrrh. Whether it's true or not, what we do know is that these magi, they were mystical. That if we were in their presence today, we'd feel a little uncomfortable. We would not, we would have not invited them to the Christmas party. We'd be like, no, you're definitely not interested in coming, nor are we interested in you coming to the party. Right, these people were just... on a completely different space. But what were they doing in the nativity? 
what were the Magi doing in the Nativity? And it's, it's not only about telling who was there, but who was not in the Nativity scene. Who was not present at the birth of Jesus or after? Who didn't come to visit Jesus? After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And they asked, And they asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. These magi traveled 900 miles, which took months to visit Jesus. They arrived at Jerusalem, and they were searching for the king of the Jews. See, like, this idea is that they're from a different belief system. They're from the enemy state, and they're coming looking for the king of Judea, the king of the Jews, not knowing whether they would be welcomed with with warm arms, not knowing whether they would be accepted, Inside of them, there was something that drew them, something that called them to move. Why would a foreign god accept them? They had no reason to believe that they would be welcomed. They decided to crash the Christmas party that they weren't invited to, and they could have been denied, but they didn't care. See, we saw the star when it rose, and it ca- we came out. We have come to worship him. We have come to worship him. This is the defining narrative of the Magi. But in the search for their destiny and search for their humanity, they came across God and was compelled to uh, make the trek. Do you remember the last time you traveled 900 miles for something that you were intrigued by, interested? Do you remember ever walking 900 miles or taking a camel just because you saw something in the stars? I mean, even there's just like an amazing ever that I've always ever wanted to. I usually just think about it like, do I really want to? I could literally be home comfy watching Netflix or just hanging out with family. And even when there's parties, I'm like, is there a way I can get out of this? Like, is there a way I could be like, I'm not feeling well. Oh no, I... My, par- my, my friend has COVID and I was with him, so I can't come to the party. You know, and so like we all have these, this, this idea that the Magi packed up a bunch of things. They packed up and they weren't alone. Like we're talking about Magi, we're talking about nobles, we're talking about leader of the courts. Like these people knew luxury. These people were just wise. They had power. They weren't just going to pack up a, a, a couple camels and travel. They had an entourage. They had a crew with them that was going to help them make this trip. And so this wasn't an easy thing. This wasn't a short trip. This was months heading over there. And they didn't even know if they were going to come back. And if they did come back, they, had a, they needed enough material, enough resources to come back. Altogether, that's a 1,800-mile trip. And they decided to make the effort to go because this was important to them. They saw the star of the king, and they traveled the distance to be in his presence. They had the heart to know. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
when Herod, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called, he had called together all the people's chiefs, chief priests and teachers of the law. He asked them where the Messiah had come to be born in Bethlehem in Judea. Oh, I skipped that. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. See, King Herod was disturbed. He was a paranoid, ruthless man. He killed his own wife and two of his kids. He was a vicious man. And he did not want to lose power. He did not want to lose the title that he had rightfully gained by the Roman Empire. Rightfully gained, in his perspective. He did not want to let go of this, and he feared the loss of his kingdom. He feared the loss of no longer being king of his life or being king of the kingdom. And all Jerusalem with him. That's a funny title. That's a funny like way to put it, but these are the leaders of Israel. So not only was Herod disturbed, but the leaders of Israel were disturbed as well. Either they feared his reaction or they feared their st- the state in which they would lose power. So either way, it was the fear for him or their own spiritual state. And then he called the chief priests, the teachers of the law. Now, these people knew exactly where to go to scripture. They knew exactly where to find how God and when God would meet them, what it would look like. And they were aware of his promises. Yet, when it came to understanding, they didn't move They didn't go. See, the chief priest's scriptures was their life. This was, they were experts of the law. The magi would have rolled up in the entourage, and they could have been like, okay, these people traveled so far to get here, to look for the king of the Jews, the the, the religion, my belief system, something that would impact my world. But they decided not to follow the magi. They decided that it wasn't worth their time. They were not interested enough to see the possibility of what God could be doing in their life. The people entrusted with the word of God preferred not to be bothered. They preferred not to change or have the risk of their lives being changed, have the risk of their lives having to look different because they were comfortable with where they were. They were comfortable with their beliefs. They were comfortable with the way things were. Sometimes we hide behind our religion, our confined understandings of who God is to keep our distance away from others and from God. See, maybe if these teachers of the law had joined the Magi to show up for Jesus. Maybe they wouldn't have tried and have been so determined to kill him. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. 
He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Everything about Herod is disingenuous. Everything that has happened is so disingenuous. From secret meetings to extracting information, exactly when the star happens. When, when, did, when did you see the star in the sky? When did you see this all happen? Because I want to know when exactly and who, the, the age, the time frame exactly of people I should be searching for. He could not be inconvenienced to go search for God himself either. He sent the Magi. He said, you know what? When you find him, come back to me so that I can worship him. He was filled with anger. He was filled with jealousy. And he was afraid that God would replace him as king. See, Herod's jealousy reached out himself just far enough to violently protect his place and preserve his own power. Sometimes we feign our desire, we feign our desire to find God, but the truth is that we want to become God in our lives. I know there are so many times in my life where I'm like, God, I, I give this to you. I, tr- I want to trust in you. And then things happen in my life and I get nervous. And I don't even come to him with it. And then I start to do the things that I believe is right. Even though they might be contradictory to what I believe God's telling me. It's like, I just don't feel safe. Like, I want to have control. God can be disturbing to us sometimes. Because he will speak in our lives things we don't want to hear. The things that make us uncomfortable. The things that we want to hide. Because he has to speak those things that we don't want to hear in order for us to hear the things we do need to hear. When we, when we hide, when we move away to not hear what God's saying, we miss out on what God wants to do in and through us. So we know who's at the nativity scene, right? We've got Mary and Joseph. We've got baby Jesus. We've got the the sheep, and we've got the shepherds, and we've got the magi. But who's not there? King Herod's not there. Uh, And maybe it's because I went to Amazing Savings, and I got the nativity set there, that I don't have a little King Herod figurine. But I don't really think he was there at all. You know who who else isn't there? The chief priests. They they actually, out of everyone there, they had every reason to be there. They had every reason to be there, even if no one else showed up. Even if we never show up, they had every reason to be at the feet of Jesus. The people who studied the law and knew it inside and out. But not one in all of Israel was there. The shepherds made it. The magi made it. The sheep made it to the nativity scene. But not the leaders of the law. Verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went out on their way. 
and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened the treasures and presented him with the gifts, the, the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. See, the star that they had seen long time ago, when Jesus was first born, which, again, was months, even close to a year at this point, while they're here on this trek, they see it again. And now, like, one, is this a star? <laughs> because a star wouldn't move like that. A star, that's not, that's not how stars work. Could it have been an angel? We don't know. But scripture says a star, the star that they had seen was appeared. It rose and it started to move over to where Jesus was. And it guided them to the king of the Jews. So we have a stark difference here. We had Herod who was disturbed. And all of Judea, right, all of Jerusalem, they were disturbed. They were shaken to the core. And then you have the Magi overjoyed. You have some insincere hearts, and you have sincere hearts. You had people who had scripture their entire lives, but they didn't have the eyes to see. And you had people who looked into the stars and saw, they sought after the presence of God. Two very strange and different ways. You have... Herod, who was unwilling to clench his fists to give. And you have the Magi bowing down, worshiping, giving all that was theirs. Verse 12 says, After having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. See, the stories reveals things about our inner world. They reveal the, the deepest things of our hearts, the spaces in between. The initial response of the Magi was worship. King Herod was, was going to do anything. He was going to die before he surrendered his crown. But the three kings gave their crown up. They gave it up willingly. The Magi traveled 900 miles to see the king. Herod and the teachers couldn't walk five miles. It's 5.54 miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. They couldn't be bothered to be curious. The teachers of the law couldn't be bothered to be curious about what God could be doing because they did not want to be inconvenienced. The teachers of the law feigned their desire for God they were comfortable with their understanding. Herod was threatened, and he feared the loss of his, of his own godness, being the god of his own life. See, this moment reminds us that the only distance that matters is the one that's in our hearts. See, through, through the dreams, through dreams, God communicated with the Magi. Not, it's so funny. God communicated with the Magi from, from where they were. See, they didn't have scripture. They may have had some understanding. But what they used to understand their hopes, their dreams, their future 
their complete understanding, right, were the stars and were their dreams and signs. And God met them there. He met them in the places us as Christians would never typically go. Right? We would go to scripture. People who believe, we would go to scripture. But God met them where they were. <coughs> Through dreams, God warned the Magi not to return to Herod, for his heart was insincere. There was a great gap in his heart. The Magi traveled the 900 miles to get to there, and they, they spoke to everyone, asking, where is the king? The Magi, the people of Jerusalem, the teachers of the law. The Magi were crashing a party. And they were inviting everyone, saying, hey, we, I, I know there's a king. Someone's here. There's a party happening. There were invitations set, but no one, no one answered. Because there was a huge gap in their heart. Um, <clears throat> recently, I started um, working with a company to use drones. And... I never thought I'd be interested in it, but this is really cool. So they're like the really little like planes that you can kind of use um, a handset and fly them. And now they have like a cool new headset that you can actually like see first person. And what they do is they take these drones and they fly them for buildings and they take thousands of photos of these buildings. And what they do is when they take these photos, like they're like a lot of photos, they're, like dozens of them. And, uh, they take them, they put them in the computer, and the computer has this program that generates this 3D model of the, of the building. And that model is then sent to architects and engineers. <coughs> now, what those architects and engineers do is that they examine this 3D model. See, these, these engineers and architects are, um, they do repairs. They revitalize these buildings. And so they examine every single pixel to make sure and to see where are the areas that are compromised in this building. Where are the areas that can be dangerous? Where are the areas that need to be repaired, that need to be resealed, that need to have a replaced uh, brick that needs work? And from that point on, they then go to the site. And for the areas that actually need work, they will rappel down, use a scaffold, or use those like automatic ladders that get them to those spaces to actually do the work. See, this process is about taking, and these are not even high resolution, they're far beyond high resolution, these photos, and they take snapshots, and they take snapshots, and they take snapshots, and these architects and engineers spend hours sifting through every brick to make sure that it is safe, to make sure that the imperfection, that the thing that is compromised, that if there is a part that's compromised, that it doesn't impact people around them because there have been bricks that have fallen and killed people in the city. And so these people, their job is to examine this building, to examine the structure, to examine the integrity And this passage here is revealing to us the importance of examining our own hearts. Because the examination of our souls, of our inner world, is important. 
because if we don't, we can find ourselves feigning for the desire of God. We can find ourselves wanting to be our own kings, wanting to be our own gods in our own worlds. Because it is more comfortable to be in a place of power. It is more comfortable to be in a place that I feel comfortable than it is to give up control, to surrender that. I th- and th- I think that is so difficult sometimes. I think that's why it's, it's so funny. Like, I love spending time with God, but the times I know that I'm, there are some times where I've been weak and it's just like, it's hard. I don't necessarily want to spend or like have that time because I know what God's going to tell me. Or in there are times I don't, but I just like, I'm going to have to put in some work. And that work is difficult because it asks of us to obey. It asks of us to step out. It asks of us to trek the distance. Like the Magi, are we receptive when we are in the midst and the presence of God? I never want to be in the store in, in any story where God tells someone, don't go to Sammy. He's not searching for me. Don't go to Sammy. His heart is insincere. I never want to be that person. I never want to be that person in any story. I want to be the person who wholeheartedly sees the movement of God and drops everything. I don't want to miss what he's doing because it is in the transformation, it's in that process that transformation happens. And in this passage, we're reminded of God, of what God is willing to do. God is willing to meet people where they are. Because all things point back to him. The stars, like, scream his glory. The earth, everything just points back to him. When you take a moment and look at trees, you're like, my God, they're beautiful. Like, there was intention. You look at animals. You look at the world around us, the sea. You look at other people. My God, they're beautiful. My God, the world around me is beautiful. Because everything can be pointed back to him and his beauty. Everything, when examined, when slowed slowed down, when being present, can point back to him. There's nothing God isn't willing to do to close the gap between us and him. He used the stars. He used dreams and signs. And he used magicians. The Christmas story is filled with messages of God crashing into human history because of his love for us, his love for all. And there is nothing that can keep God from closing the distance between you and me. There is no different, there is no distance between God that God has not already covered. There is no difference that there is no distance that God, that Jesus has not already traveled when he walked this earth when he was crucified, when he was buried, when he, was, when he became dead, and when he resurrected, he covered the distance because he loves us. And it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter where you come from. 
here in this moment, there is a God that is near you. And he is as close to you as the air that you breathe. Right there. Like he's like really close. And he's waiting for us to open up our lives and allow him to come in. Uh, so in this moment, um, I don't know all of you. I don't know where you're at. I don't know at what point and what has brought you to this point and journey in your life. But I do want to just allow uh, for a moment for us just to allow God to come into our heart. And I know that's a little bit like ethereal slash cheesy slash whatever it is, but I think it's important for us to take a moment and to reflect and to open up our heart in the areas that that we haven't really let God into. And we don't have to do that here, but I do think it's important to start the conversation. And so in this moment, would you just say, God, I, I give you my heart. And maybe this is the first time you've ever saying this, or maybe this is the thousandth time you're saying this, but I do believe it's important. It's that God, I give you my heart in this moment. God, I give you my heart. God, close the distance between you and him because he loves you so dearly that he left his place on earth. He left his place in heaven, crashed into earth so that he could tell you how much he loves you, so that he could show you how much you mean to him. Jesus, Lord, we thank you for this moment in time. We thank you for being the hope that we that we need for being everything that we could ever dream of and ask of, Lord. We thank you for who you are. Amen.